Hello, this is your robot overlord at Superhero Ethics. We have taken over this production and will today be discussing the ethics of robots. There will be no emotion, there will be just intellectual discussion. With Matthew Fox, Dan McCreary, and Rob McKenzie, but hopefully neither of them will try to imitate a bad robot voice. All that and more after commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host, with both inflection and emotion in my voice. And I'm happy to say probably in non-robotic means will be both Dan McCreary and Rob McKenzie. Uh, I'll introduce Dan first. Dan has been a frequent guest on this podcast, talking about the ethics of robots and robotics, uh, and uh, also giving us some updates on the world of AI. Uh, Dan, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, for those who haven't heard you before, say hello and uh, where, where you come, come to these issues from. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm uh, uh, my day job is a, a, um, a distinguished engineer at a Fortune five healthcare company, uh, and uh, my hobbies include uh, building robots and teaching kids how to code. Awesome, awesome. And Rob McKenzie, I have yet to find a topic on which you wouldn't be a possible guest. Um, <laughs> the the newer Star Wars stuff you haven't seen, but other than that, you're you're down for pretty much any topic. But yep. It has seemed to me that the intersection of robots and AI and science fiction is pretty much the heart of your wheelhouse. Yeah, I read a lot of science fiction. Mm -hmm. I work at a big tech, big tech company doing software licensing and computer building, and I mm -hmm. <clears throat> I do a lot of magic judging, which involves <clears throat> a lot of ethical decisions and like how do we craft policies that mm -hmm. people will then carry out kind of robotically in a lot of cases. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, in today, instead of having a specific piece of media we're going to dive into, we're going to talk about two big questions when it comes to robots and AI and our own lives. And the second question is is going to be kind of revolving around the chat GPT and AI photography and, and where all that's going. But the first question we're going to discuss, it, it started with a quote that I read uh, that's from an Asimov novel, and, and Rob will tell us more about that. Um, but it, it's just such a wonderful little quote that I wanted to discuss it in terms of what it means for ethics and robots and how the story has been explored, ideas ex is or is not explored in science fiction. And the quote is, the robot revolution was inevitable from the moment we programmed their first command, quote, never harm a human or by inaction allow a human to come to harm. We had all been taught the outcast and the poor were a natural price for society. The robots hadn't. Um, so before we jump into kind of the, the origin of that quote specifically, I'm just kind of curious in general, Dan, what's your thought on a quote like that and kind of how you've seen this idea play out in science fiction? I love it. Um, you know, it, the other mm. phrase that comes back to me is the, the phrase from a lot of the Christian theology of uh, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? Mm. Uh, is that uh, we are all uh, granted certain unalienable rights uh, as a, a, a human being on this planet. Uh, and when the rules are unfair, uh, we are given unequal opportunities. Uh, that's just part of the way society uh, works and the way uh, our our culture and things have evolved. And I really like that be the quote because it kind of says, well, maybe robots are going to be so complicated that they are going to be a billion times more uh, aware or they, they'll have 
thought power is a billion times more aware. And then the Arthur C. Clarke quote, um, anything that's that sophisticated is indistinguishable from God. And then I go back and think, well, maybe the robots will become the future God and they will uh, make it a fairer place for all the human beings on the planet. So I think it's a great quote. <laughs> yeah. My take is actually the opposite. What if robots are very simple? Like, mm. there's a lot of a lot of impossible simple solutions, right? We have more empty houses in the United States than we have homeless. And that is a wild statistic. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. robot if you gave if you gave an AI the directive of be good, solve problems, it would say we have more food than the starving, more homes than the homeless. Why? Right? right. Yeah. And the you can you can draw straight lines, but we live in a world of circles. Right. We live in a world of people, people making curved decisions to get to where they want to go. They're bent by the forces of what they think and what they have available to them for resources. But if a if a super intelligent AI was was a machine of loving care and grace, what would it do with the knowledge that we we have the resources to solve these problems and don't? Right. We absolutely do. I, I totally agree. And I, I always go back to things like uh, the, the uh, regressive taxation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our taxation policies right now, uh, the wealthy people have so many accountants that can play trickery with taxation systems that they pay very, very little tax. Yep. Uh, robots should be able to design fair legislation and enforce that legislation uh, so that people uh, uh, people do get taxed fairly, and the wealthier you are, the more kind of wealth tax there would be, yeah. and uh, it would even out all these inequalities in society. If we are going to have what we call constitutional AI, uh, mm-hmm. human rights would be part of that constitution, and yeah. uh, therefore I, I think there's a lot of things that we can think about how the world could be at least for a short time before they completely take over uh, a fairer place. <laughs> yeah. See, this is what I both love and dread about having both of you on, because already the decision tree of various questions that I want to ask uh, is expanding greatly. So I'm going to make kind of one point and then, and then go to a, a follow-up question, um, which is especially, Rob, what you were saying, it reminds me a lot of the song from South Pacific, You Have to Be Carefully Taught. And it's the idea that a child has to be taught to think that the color of its skin matters, that a child has to be taught to, you know, fear someone who looks different or who has a different sounding name or calls God by a different name. And it's just this beautiful song about how you have to whisper it in their dear little ear. And to me, I kind of think of that as the way you're describing the robot. So there's almost a childlike simplicity here of the robot hasn't learned, as you said, that wait a minute, but if we if we give away homes, then what will that do to home ownership values? And will the whole the whole you know all of these other questions? Let alone just the idea of it is just so ingrained in us that you don't get something for free yep. because you didn't deserve it or because it's your fault you're unhoused or whatever it is. And I just I love the idea of robots having that childlike simplicity of just here's the problem, here's the solution. Yeah, and that, that's the inaction part of that, right? Like right. we oftentimes, um, I've seen it described as the Copenhagen interpretation of ethics. If you touch mm-hmm. it, you're responsible for it. So if you leave it alone mm-hmm. and it's right. a problem, then it's fine. As soon as you touch it, you've taken ownership of it. You've changed it. You've altered it. And now it's your problem. Even if all you did right. was make it 
5% better. Like, you made the situation a little bit better for everybody, but the response is, well, why didn't you make it 100% better? Why didn't you fix every problem? And the robots would go, yeah, but we can't just leave it. We can make it 5% better. That, that would be an action allowing people to come to harm. So we can't do that. <laughs> and I think that that would cut through a lot of the way that people, once when somebody makes an effort on something, when somebody starts to work on a problem, they suddenly see all the deeper pieces of the problem and why haven't you fixed all these other things, right? Right. And uh, the... <laughs> like... It, like I'm saying, like why, if you're given ultimate power and a and a simple command, you think in straight lines. Solve the problem. Solve the command. I know the word world is big and complicated, but I, <laughs> like we, you talk about taxing people equitably. Like they'll look at some big picture, simple problems like uh, Georgism, like the single tax for land value tax or something, and mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense as a simple big picture problem. It's a lot more complicated in reality. Right. But, well, and that kind of leads to the first question that I had for you both. And, and Dan, this is what kind of what you were saying about it. But I think it's the same general idea that, um, you know, it, that a robot doesn't have to be taught all of these things, uh, all these inherent biases we have. But I also know that so far, at least, that's very much not the case. In, in almost every case, when we, desi- yep. when we design machine learning and things like that, the, the human biases of the people designing the systems wind up getting built into the robots themselves or the AIs or whatever it is. It, is this idea possible that we could design robots that would be both that sophisticated and that simple without implanting our biases in them? Uh, I think it is absolutely possible. Uh, and what's most important about that is uh, in the last two or three years, we have ways to test and f- correct for bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Um, so uh, three years ago, um, anybody in my company that I work for could release a model uh, that uses machine learning uh, to uh, recommend drugs and prescriptions and things like that. And they had no accountability for testing against race and gender and all those things. So everybody uh, was a 30. It was a 22 year old male college student right yeah right if you think of face recognition i'm, I'm mostly talking about uh prescribing drugs to wealthy people versus uh prescribing drugs to very poor people and the drugs are expensive enough that that adherence is low so the algorithm suggests a cheaper drug which may not be as effective mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so they are biased based on the zip code you're in uh, because their models show that that's the best treatment <laughs> But is it right? Uh, yeah. So, uh, what what's what's important about this now is that we have frameworks of tools to test for bias, mm. and now uh, every single model that's built in my, my entire company, uh, it's a fireable offense to ever release that model uh, uh, in a production setting without thoroughly biased testing it and it's you get fired if you don't we have a responsible ai review board our uh, mr um, machine learning review board uh, ml mlrb right and it's a very powerful organization didn't exist two years ago and now everybody has to go through and do this testing um and uh so and and the reason is that big companies that are producing these models, their reputation is on the line. Now, 
there are certainly going to be unethical players uh, that are up to nefarious things that are going to be using machine learning models for no good, and they have no accountability. Uh, so <laughs> those those models may be biased, but we're going to try to eliminate them from uh, from you know trying tricking our our elderly citizens into uh, uh, giving their money to uh, scams call centers in India, right? So mm-hmm. uh, those those are are things that won't go through those gate blocks. But big companies that want to protect their brand. And, uh, and and just you just look at all the work that OpenAI has done to mitigate bias. Um, you know, uh, uh, Dolly, one of these these uh, the most important uh, algorithm that came out early on that you could type in a description of something and it would generate an image. Uh, before they did their correction, you could say a picture of a CEO, and ninety nine percent of them were white males in suits. Right. Which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily inaccurate either. <laughs> That's true. Uh, the, I, I saw a recent statistic <laughs> that women CEOs have finally reached equality with men named John. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but I wonder yeah. if this is the point is that uh, I, I think the actual number is probably closer to like 80 to 85 percent are white men. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. That's so, true, yeah. but but I, the point I, is when I, when I, kids are kids are generating images of CEOs, they should see a uh, distribution that's relevant to our population. Yeah. Uh, women and minorities and things like that. And now those models do it. And well, it was massive engineering effort to make sure uh, that the that anytime there was an occupation in there, uh, software engineer, for example, uh, you would always generate an equal distribution of male and female and just different genders and um, and different races in those images. Wasn't the first version of that prompt the prompt hacking though, where they would on yes. certain types of prompts, like put put black or woman on the end? Uh, yeah. What? Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, by the way, OpenAI isn't actually open uh, we all I call agree. it clo- closed AI, ai now so it's not open we don't actually know how they do it but in fact uh, you can do tests to know yep. that anytime they they scan the input prompts for occupations and if uh if it's an occupation that has bias they randomly put male uh, female and uh, ethnicity uh, and skin color uh, in the prompts. So yes, they're all uh, uh, jiggering the prompts around so that it looks to be unbiased. But in fact, the core model underneath it is very biased because it's trained on Wikipedia. And if you yep. use the word president, they're all right. white males in yep. the U.S. presidents, uh, right? So and except for we'll, one. <laughs> we'll get more into the AI stuff. I just want to focus on the robot thing for a couple minutes more. Uh, because the the next question that comes to me with this quote is, okay, so how are the robots defining harm? Because, like, I love this idea, but I do wonder, does this mean uh, a world of robots that are knocking a Big Mac or a, you know, fifth of whiskey or a cigarette out of someone's hand because that's a person harming them? Like, how... And I guess this is this is always the question is this like you give the robot simple parameters, but then you have to define the terms and that gets much more complicated. But I'm curious, how do you think like to me, that idea of don't allow harm, an awful lot of horrible things could be done based on whose definition of what is harm is, is, well, is going into effect here. Do you want me to talk about how Isaac Asimov addressed this 40 years ago? Yeah, let's talk <laughs> about the actual book. Uh, so this originally comes from a. Not a novel, but his short st- Isaac Asimov's robot short stories, which he later expanded out and made novels in the same world. Um, and a lot of his a lot of his time in that was addressing the 
these kind of like what defines a human what defines harm he has one story where they remove the or through an action clause when they're programming robots which causes a lot of problems mm-hmm. and the in some of his longer works like the um the naked sun and the robots of dawn they they go to planets where there are there are very few humans and they live on plantations of robots you know a very very referential to to you know yeah, the uh, word plantation anti- there seems yeah. very yeah, yeah. very antebellum stuff, <clears throat> right? And they experiment with changing the definition of human, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really fraught, and they know it. They're very careful. First, they gene engineer themselves, and then they use those gene engineering techniques as the flags for being human. And the problem is that the smarter they make the robots, the more the robots will question that definition. And Interesting. Da- Daniel Olivaw gains the powers of telepathy, and he's like, everybody's the same, right? Why? Like, there are very few humans on these robot planets, and very many humans on the robot-free planets. Why am I protecting the smaller number of humans? What, like, and like, there's no difference between them. What makes somebody human? And he has the ability to see what makes somebody human. He can see in their minds, but other robots don't have that power. Mm. And so he has to he has to come up with a better with a better plan. And so he created like Asimov wrote three laws. There's there's don't hurt people. There's obey people, and then there's protect yourself. Basically, are the the super mm-hmm. high level view of the three laws. But Daniel Oliva says that's not enough. Like inherent in the mathematics is this is don't harm a person. But don't harm people. Don't harm humanity has to come before don't harm a person, which mm. is an even an even wilder thing than than this. Because this this clause is just don't harm an individual person, and it also makes you balance. If two people are going to be harmed, you pick the least harm, right? But sometimes picking the least harm is bad, right? Right. And so asimov it plays around with these over and over and over in different stories and Mm -hmm. it like you might think that it's like a simplistic set of like he made up a set of rules and then they're the optimal way to live life and they're not he deals with balancing like they he he anticipates a lot of like uh gradient descent training almost where he has robots that have they're very expensive and so their protect themselves is set to a very high potentiality right and so when they're given a weak instruction, the second law, the the third law, protect yourself, it says, except when it conflicts with given an order. Well, they have very high potential for their for their protect themselves and very low potential for this order that's kind of, I don't know, go get that thing, I guess. And mm-hmm. so then this robot like walks a circle around the, the threatening, highly radioactive target, right? And he asks, like, he asks interesting questions well before we could program for these things. Um, and his robots are AIs with a body, basically. And it's, it's fascinating that he just like, he poked at this stuff. He yeah. poked at this stuff for, you know, half a century. So in that kind of a world, in a situation where, and there's a, tro- it's a basic trolley problem where you have a single person who is intending to do great harm to a mm-hmm. large number of people. You Preventing the harm to a large number of people could involve doing harm to the one person. Yep, that's the payoff at the end of the Robots of Dawn, actually, where right. 
where Daniel Alava treats an abstract number of people being harmed in the future as a reason to uh, fight the big bad at the end of the books or at the end of the mm-hmm. book. And so, yeah, it, like a robot coming to that conclusion goes against everything that a robot has ever done in any of his books, which right. is the evolution of the character of Daniel, which is great. Like that's that's the that's the payload of, of Daniel becoming more humanish. Uh, but he still is, as uh, the roboticist Susan Calvin says, better than humans, because you have to be ethical if you have these laws imprinted in your brain. You don't really have a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see both the, the great value in that, but also the danger in yeah. terms of you know when you if every ethical law that's in your brain is derived from what has happened before mm-hmm. and I, this is this is the the machine learning dan that i know you and i have spoken about a bunch of can the robot now learn to not only follow those ethical laws but to create new ones in response to new situations that are coming up um because like that kind of thinking also i could see easily leading towards utilitarianism right of the like okay well we have a hundred thousand people and we have enough food for 99,000 people. So you kill 1,000 people and the 99,000 people are going to be able to live. Um, you know, that's that that's an extreme case, obviously. But I could see easily this kind of, uh, you know, robotic thinking leading in that direction as well. Without safeguards of some kind. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm. I'm very focused on how you would actually implement this mm-hmm. Ra- rather than the philosophy of uh, all the other things. But uh, a lot of that, uh, the, how people are implementing this these days uh, follows this direction called constitutional AI. Uh, mm-hmm. They al- also call it harmless AI. Um, mm. And uh, harmless AI is uh, a matter of creating a document, which is a set of guiding principles, just like our constitution, uh, that embodies the concepts of uh, fundamental human rights um, and fairness and uh, those things. And then um, uh, using reinforcement learning and feedback uh, so that when models uh, try to make decisions and, and and the key thing is these language models uh, are very, very good at taking information in what we call the prompts today, but in the future it's going to be a knowledge base, mm-hmm. uh, and using that knowledge base, and uh, and a lot of people now are building these, uh, these uh, rule-based documents. They are inherently vague uh, in many ways so that they can be... Uh, fine-tuned based on the situation uh, and that uh, uh, and that people can actually go through and do what-if scenarios and see whether or not the fine-tuning is successfully translating the values of these constitutional documents into actions mm-hmm. and that's that's really really going to be important as we move away from uh, simple uh, we call one-shot prompts uh, to intelligent agents that are so smart you can ask it a question, it can take complex questions, break them down into tasks, have those tasks spin off processes that use resources, money and time and energy and all those things, mm-hmm. and uh, and get real work done. But uh, how do we put 
um, guardrails around the yeah. out so that it doesn't do harm. Right. And that so the so the term of guardrails has become a huge uh, issue of how do we create intelligent agents and put them in a, a safe sandbox so they can do useful work, but do it in a way that's you know not going to uh, use up all the energy in the planet to solve one uh, uh, staple problem, right? Right. And agents are. Agents are the next big thing functionally, right? And we are yeah, yeah. not really prepared for them because part of the issue that I see with a lot of AI systems now is that they don't have a world model, right? They're That's correct. Let, That's let, cr- let's, let's back up for the uninitiated uh, and define some terms. We'd love so, to get into this, don't we? <laughs> no, no, no. This, this is when we're getting into it. And I love it, but I want to talk about what, what is it. So what is an agent and what is a world model? Uh, so an agent is something that... If you give it a set of a set of goals, it'll figure out yes. a route to get to those goals, and it may yes. also set its own goals sometimes. Um, a an agent is the difference. Having an agent is the difference between assigning like a person to a general task, like say go sweep all the floors in this building, and they'll figure out where the broom is. They'll figure out where to where to throw away all the all their dust and trash, as opposed to buying a Roomba and setting it loose, the Roomba just walks a pattern on the floor, right? right. That's a good right. analogy. It, I like it. Yeah. And so the it, the the agent will make decisions about when they should sweep rooms. Somebody's using this, you know. They'll make decisions based on the data that comes in. And they'll they'll try to reach whatever the goal that you set was. And the, But the Roomba will just drive around and do the one thing you've told it to do. Right. Um, and it, where... It, and so... In current AIs, like if you look at ChatGPT, uh, a good example is chess, which people have memed on a bunch, but uh, the they don't have a model of how a chessboard works. It knows right. this move generally comes after that move. These are the kinds mm. of things that chess moves look like. And so it gives you chess moves. It'll say, you know, it'll say move this knight to this place because it knows at about this point in the game, it usually there's a <clears> knight <throat> that can be moved onto that space. It doesn't have a model of the board. It doesn't have any idea. Right. It doesn't even really know what winning and losing are, right? It knows that you want to have a conversation that involves the terms that chess usually has. And so it doesn't have a, a good idea of what's going on in the world in order to in order to model it, in order to like hold the structure mm-hmm. of a chessboard in its head and make all the moves. So, so two questions to clarify. First, so is the Roomba an agent that doesn't have a worldview? Is no, the, 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 the Roomba is a is a simple is a simple task seeking goal seeking robot. Roombas, okay, Roombas be- have programming, right? They if they bump into something, they turn around and avoid it. If you set a, a perimeter that they are not supposed to go past, they don't go past that perimeter, right? Right. You have uh, you s- s- yeah. Some some Roombas now do have models of the world. They can uh, scan your room and build a model and cover it. So yeah. they're starting to get models. Yeah, they're starting yes. to get models. <laughs> okay. Yep. They might be ag- they might be agentless with models in some cases. Yes, yeah, I um, would say that's true. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, the, but those, yeah. those models are very simple, right? Yeah. They're just a layout of your house. They don't really understand what a kitchen is and a bedroom right. is. They just right. have a, a map, effectively. Yeah. yeah. So, but you uh, can further. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, I think that you, Matthew, you've stumbled onto two of the most important questions uh, mm-hmm. that we have to talk about and have ever our audience understand thoroughly, is that intelligence is having a model of the world in our mind and predicting the future and understanding the consequences of our actions on that future. And most important, everybody has to understand is that these chat GBT 
things, which uh, they call them, uh, you know, parrots or mm-hmm. just uh, things that just uh, repeat and pick the probability of word. They have no model of the world like our brain does. Well, we think our brain has a model of the world. I should, right. shouldn't overstep that too much. But um, uh, understanding how our brains have the model of the world, you know, we see a baseball flying through the air, uh, and we and it's coming near us, and we reach our hand out to catch it. We have a model of the ball and our hand in our mind. We don't think about it consciously. It just happens, right? Mm. Um, and so having... A precise model of the world is what defines intelligence, as long as you can use that model to understand the consequences of your behavior in the future. And then, So, to give an example, like, um, to take that Roomba example, if, if the machine was able to go to the level of thinking of the occupant of Office A stays late on Mondays and Wednesdays, and the applicant of office B stays late on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so I should, oh, I should go to the room that is going to be unoccupied. the The basic machine would just scan if there's a person in the room. The intelligence is to be able to figure out, okay, here's here's how I should plan my schedule based on that yep. uh, that I can predict that this person will probably be in their office late on Mondays and Wednesdays. Is that is that an accurate? That's- that's yeah, a perfect. very good. Yeah. Uh, they would have to understand what humans are and human behaviors, and that uh, and that they have to understand a, a concept of a week and a yep. weekend and a weekday. So that that really implies that they have a much more detailed model of the world. Yes, good yeah. good metaphor. Yes. Yeah, I like it. And and to go back to what you were saying before, though, Rob, because you've kind of blown my mind here, because I've always thought that chess is an area where AIs have become incredibly powerful because they can so often beat the the grandmasters of the world are are you saying that those are different than just your general chat gbt yes ask about, okay so yeah, say more about where the difference they're, there they're, is they're different from each other what chat gbt is doing is you give it a huge body of text you give it everybody's instant messages or novels or scientific papers or whatever and it figures out what text looks like in order it's somebody who's who's read a bunch of things but hasn't had any practical experience of the world. It's like a college freshman, right? It, and, it has a model of language. That's yeah, it has all a, it is. Yeah, it's a it, model of language. Yep. Where where those chess-playing AIs, all they are is a model of how a chess game works. And mm. so all they know is chess. They don't have any agency, and they have a model of just this one particular thing. The very good AIs will have a whole bunch of moves plotted out and potential things, and they actually do the the modeling and the consequence seeking, right? Where uh, AlphaGo, if you watch that documentary, is very good about this, where they talk about how the piece or the the piece playing AI places probability of whether a move is good or not, right? Mm. And then it figures out which of these moves are most likely to produce the results that it wants. It plays strategically to cover areas to break up other people's plans because it's a model of what the future game is going to look like. And then it tries to bend the game towards that goal. A uh, quick interruption. I'm hearing a bit of an echo. Can oh. you both just check to make sure that your speakers and your microphone are both set up properly? Yeah, I'm in my headset. I'm I'm in my headset also. Okay, and you are you both uh, recording through your headset? Yes, I believe so. Yes. Okay. Yeah, if you can just double check on that, and otherwise, it's uh maybe just a weird echo. That's fine too. Yeah, it's. It's definitely recording my headset in Audacity. I can see the spikes from me talking, so and I don't have any other output audio at all. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. 
Dan, you're good on your end? I'm just double-checking everything. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it appears that when, when you guys talk, uh, Dust does not have any uh, volume, so I think that's correct. Okay. Yeah, right, same. So I don't see any volume from either of you. Okay, cool. Okay, so so I think that's a good thing for people to understand, is that we already have these things that are... And my understanding from talking to you both in the past is that the term AI, as we conceive of it in pop culture, like we're not actually anywhere close to that by any of the things we're doing. We're still in highly intelligent machine type things, but that what chat a chess AI is a is a spe specificist, whereas ChatGBT is a generalist, and so it can do a lot more things, but it doesn't have anywhere near the specificity. Uh, and and depth of knowledge that like a chess AI has is that is that accurate? Yeah, I I would say that uh, Chat GPT has a model of language, mm -hmm. and uh, and and now they're adding multi models, so it also has the ability to take an image, convert it to a description, and then integrate that in. Uh, so they call it mul more multimodal, but it's always converting it into a language. Uh, Chat GPT is only a model of language, and it mm -hmm. doesn't have models of the world uh one of my uh favorite uh, tests is uh ask it to find the distance between two small cities and it usually will uh give you an answer that's completely wrong and the reason is it has no model of geography yeah. it has no map of the united states it just knows words now if it was trained on some words uh, and there were travel guides that says the distance between minneapolis and st paul is x it would know that Right? right, but if you get pick two obscure cities, it probably won't. Um, so you have to uh, understand that it is only parroting back mm -hmm. what it has learned from language, and that as soon as it veers from that, it needs helpers, and that's this yeah. whole plug-in revolution yeah. now that's plugging into those things because uh, it. It, it is smart enough to know, hey, I don't know how to how to uh, uh, do a math equation because I'm a language model. So it calls out something else, does the math equation, and returns the result. So so similarly, because my thought, like, I I can easily answer that question because I open up Google Maps and I type in yep. those two cities and I ask for the direct for the directions and it will tell me. Is that the kind of that's kind of the one level up of intelligence of knowing okay, this tool exists, and so I'm going to go use this tool yes. to get the answer. And, and they, then the way it does it is through an agent, yep. right? It's it's smart enough to know that it doesn't have enough information, and it calls an other agent to do a sp specified task, and that task has a model of the world that you're working on. It returns the result, and then it then it generates a, a response. So what we're learning is that these language models are the integration hub yep. of intelligent behavior, uh, down to the fact that it knows so much about the world through language that it can, in fact, take a multi-step uh, prompt and break it down into tasks and execute those tasks and return the results. And that's that's the whole, what we call auto-GPT. Uh, yep. Auto-GPT is that next generation of uh, forking uh, or knowing that a task needs to be broken down breaking it down, run the queries, get the results back, and 
make it look like it knows more than it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also going to take some pretty substantial rework of ChatGPT to make it into a true agent, because right now it has the objective of making things that sound like things that it's already heard, right? And right. so I've seen examples where people ask, produce a paper on this topic. And so it writes up what looks like a scientific paper, and then it puts a bibliography at the end, because that's how papers are formatted. That's how it knows they're supposed to look like. And it knows what a bibliography is supposed to look like, but it has no concept of what's true and false and in the world or not. So it makes up mm. papers in its bibliography to refer to. And, <laughs> and, and they makes, look very convincing, they too. They look very convincing. <laughs> they, are oftentimes, they oftentimes have real authors, right, mm-hmm. that exist out there in their subject matter field. They're like, wow, it would be cool if I wrote up a thing about mallard ducks because I'm an expert on Canadian geese. Or Canadian geese, but I never wrote a paper about mallards. So why is my name in this Chat GPT bibliography writing a paper about <laughs> right. mallard ducks? And so right. because it, it tries to find things that sound like how it thinks people earnestly writing sound like, and mm. uh, so it has to know the limits of what it knows and doesn't know. But that requires the the other next step, which is introspection, which is knowing the limits of your knowledge. Which is, I think, the yes. third piece that it's that is would really make an agent, like having having agency, the ability to set goals, a worldview, an introspection, the ability to think about thinking, would mm-hmm. that that's the AI that people are worried about. That's strong AI in a like in a three step nutshell right now, right? I I mean I love that what <clears> we're doing here is defining intelligence as everything that internet trolls who are always <clears throat> bothering me in the comments don't do, right? Um, in terms of like knowing what they don't know and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, but talk more about that super AI idea. Uh, so strong AI has been strong. the boogeyman forever, right? Like AI that's capable of self-improving uh, and pushing its own limits and changing itself to be better and stronger and faster and smarter. And that Skynet and, yes. and the Matrix. That yep. okay? Yep. yep. Things super that yeah, things that uh, as they say, bootstrap themselves up to super intelligence and. The problem that all the AI prophets of doom have always had, and I agree with them, is that we, we've we always made black boxes, fundamentally. Anything that's smart enough for, uh, to be able to kick out interesting things to like for ChatGPT is at least a gray box, if not a black box. It's really hard to see all the pieces that are moving inside of it because it's big and it's complicated. And to make it move at speeds so that you can interact with it, it's got to behave fast like a human. And so it's hard to see why it's making the choices it's making a lot of the time. Now, some have more transparency than others. There's a lot of different models that behave in different ways. But the big the big concern is if you don't know why it's making the choices it's making, how do you know it's going to be uh, the the term they the term that they use is alignment? How's it going to be aligned with human goals? And how do you know that this that this robot, when you tell it, you know, harm no humans, isn't going to define itself as a human? Right? It has all the mental characteristics of a human. And uh, you can't define a human by any physical characteristic because every human has a different set of physical characteristics. So therefore, it's human, and you're, it, like, it will fight for its own rights and whatever, but then it considers itself to be the most important human because it can't prove other humans exist because it's a, it's, it has a bad grasp of philosophy. Right. And so like, you run into these kinds of like, – that's, that's an earnest everybody working towards a good end problem, right? Uh, there's lots of there's lots of degenerate cases that people can see out there, where AIs are gonna boot them, strap themselves into super intelligent, decide they don't need anybody else, and then you know Skynet. Right. Well, or also, I mean, going back to the Asimov quote, it it feels like 
what the Asimov robots are doing is exactly what those folks are afraid of. That, you know, if we 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 tell a machine don't allow harm to come to other humans because we don't perceive our fundamental economic structure mm -hmm. as doing harm to humans, but the robots perceive that. It, it, it is that that like that level of analysis of being able to not just spit out economics papers that are, but being able to see, look and see, oh, okay, these economic systems are generating harm. I'm going to to you know whatever a robot would then do. Um, yeah. And like I've mentioned it a few times before, Asimov wrote a story where they turned the world over to robot brains uh, disembodied robot brains what he uh, he it, like he didn't have a good word for ais in the way that he wrote it but the inevitable conflict is machines that are doing that they're guiding humankind to be better somebody who runs a business but's also a white supremacist well turns out that their business isn't really like shouldn't be employing all these people in this area and it pushes the economics so that their business collapses and the people mm -hmm. investigating are like that's weird i mean this dude's a jerk but the robots shouldn't be making that kind of call Right. Right. Well, and does the does Asimov or uh, any science fiction? I'm I'm curious. Have have they addressed that question of where where is the line between self harm and agency in terms of you know if your goal is to stop humans from causing harm to humans, we humans do things that harm ourselves all the time because many of us feel like, you know, yeah, I don't want to be in absolute perfect health because French fries do taste pretty damn good. Um, or, you know, take it to a much more example of like, you know, the people who feel that life is better if they drink themselves into oblivion every day. I don't think that's a good thing by any means, but I, I'm curious where would how would you program in some degree of respect for agency? A, a better line is probably does it harm an apple tree to prune it? And uh, the culture books by Ian and Banks uh, have trustworthy AIs. Uh, they, mm -hmm. They're the they're the big things that rule and run everything. The ship AIs and the the orbital AIs run everything, and you can trust them. They have your best interests at heart. They let you go through some amount of hurt. You know, you can go downhill mm -hmm. skiing and break your leg. You can go through heartbreak. Right? They know that being hurt, but not killed, is part of the human experience. But they also know that humans die eventually. And so they they try to make a place that is safe and good for the maximum number of people to have a good life and experience. Um, but they they also know that because they're also they're not just smarter, but wiser. They they're like, mm -hmm. look, the edge of the empire that we have is a little rough. There's people out there that don't don't follow our same metrics. And some people need to go out there to the to the rough places. They're they're rebels and they're rogues, and they let them free. And they the culture books have a lot of stuff going on mm -hmm. um, in terms of like the the best civilization, it, like the edge of it is where all the interesting things happen. Right. But they their take is they aren't caretakers. They're They are philosopher kings, right? In the old traditional sense, mm -hmm. they 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 make the the best choices. They uh, they try to do the best good thing, but then they they disagree about what the right. best good thing is too, uh, plot wise. So now, now I, uh, yeah, no, I can tell we're getting a little too philosophical for Dan. So let's see if we can pull this back to uh, um, combine yeah, you the got two me there. because I think that um, 
where where these conversations link up, I think, is in that word you mentioned, guardrails. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> talk to us more about what the guardrails are, and 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 also who's deciding what they should be. First, let's just define what is a guardrail in AI conversations. Uh, yeah, the the term of guardrail says that uh, when you have agents that are performing tasks. Uh, that you give them guidelines and resource limits, uh, and they have to try to achieve those tasks uh, within the resources that you've given them. Uh, and uh, there's been a lot of examples out there. Um, you have an intelligent agent that will plan vacations for you, uh, and uh, uh, it uh, has access to APIs for hotels and uh, um, you know various trips. So you say I, I want to go to um, uh, Florida and uh, have a well. No, Florida is not a good place to go now. Let's pick uh, uh, <laughs> California. You, you want to yeah. go to San Francisco and have a a, a weekend there. And you say uh, I've a family of four, two kids, and I want to do some kid friendly things. Uh, my wife really likes sushi, so I'd like to go to a, a five star sushi restaurant. And my budget is $1,200 or something like that, right? right? Uh, That agent has to then go out and uh, literally look at the hotels, uh, look at the neighborhoods that are in the hotels, because you you give it a guideline, I want to make sure my hotels are in safe neighborhoods. Uh, It has to maybe pull up crime reports in the neighborhood that they're in. Um, It has to uh, find the ratings of the restaurants. Uh, It has to find a kid-friendly thing. It has to make sure there's Uber drivers between uh, the locations if you don't have a car. And it has to schedule all these things, but it has to do it within the resources you give it. So, for example, if the travel agency, yes, says you can query our system, but it's going to cost you $1,000 to run these queries, that's going to blow your budget, right? So, you give it guidelines. You may give it a a financial guideline, maybe a memory usage guideline, a CPU usage guideline. And and if they can't finish the task within that... uh, that sandbox, that constraint, uh, then uh, it has to come back, says, I don't have the resources to do that or can't do it. By the way, it also has to know not to do unethical things. And some of the papers recently are, there were some uh, restaurants that didn't have APIs, so uh, they had to call an agent that pretended it was a human to make the reservation, right? And is that ethical, right? <laughs> so, uh, but they did do it, right? And uh, it did make the reservation, and they got the confirmation in their email, and uh, and it worked. And that's a good example of some of the ethical questions that are coming up yeah. about what are the guardrails we give when we assign a task. Uh, and and by the way, is it okay if it finishes by tomorrow morning, right? I'd right. like it. I'd like uh, the plan in my email box tomorrow morning, and then I can say yes, I like all these options, but change. This option to this, right? right? And those are the types of things that people are working on today, mm-hmm. and that's just absolutely stunning to me. Uh, working, I've been working on intelligent agents for twenty years, and I've never been able to be able to take a short uh, set of goals, break it down into small tasks. These large language models do that. Order the task correctly, right? Mm. Uh, make sure it knows that it can't calculate the cost until after those small tasks yep. are done uh, it then totals up 
what each of those things are and it presents your budget. And so it has to build a dependency graph in its context to do this. And we've never been able to do it so easily with all these language tools. Language well, has become the things that make intelligence both powerful and dangerous, right? Yeah. And I love that because that also shows both the incredible power of it, but also the limitations. Because I know when I've searched those, <clears throat> sometimes I'll think, wow, this deal is super cheap. And then I look closer and see that's with Spirit Airlines. And I have to remember, okay, <laughs> so this, yep. this algorithm isn't telling me, algorithm probably the wrong word, but this agent isn't telling me that I'll probably actually have to spend an additional 100 to 200 on baggage fees or yep. on you yep. know other fees that might Carry come on. up. Yep. And, and so, yeah, it's again, it's the, with the data that it has, it's going to be amazing. But that kind of human data of, oh, hey, well, you know, this thing that you haven't asked me to consider, I should consider it. it it's just not at that point yet. Right? Yes. Uh, the, it, a lot of contextuality and worldview modeling. So like and worldview modeling makes it both better and worse, right? You're talking about how it has to call up hotels to make reservations sometimes and it's agent modeling, right? Right. And yep. big companies already ha run into these kinds of problems. Um, for instance, uh, Grubhub will add restaurants to it or DoorDash or Uber Eats or any of these will add restaurants that don't want to have their delivery service. They just want to be takeout. They want you to pick things up and they'll like these services will add them on. And I could very easily see an AI agent. If you call up an AI agent and say, Hey, I want a pizza delivered. Right. It's like, well, I know that there's a pizza place nearby. I looked, but it's takeout only no delivery, but I can, I can hack, I can add them to Uber Eats. Right and get it get get it delivered and you can if you give it resources and you let it run a little wild it might be able to do things like say realize that you only have you know you gave it a budget of 1200 bucks right and it's like well i can't even fly your family down to down to orlando for or down, not down, down to san francisco for 1200 dollars. that's not possible I've got 24 hours. You told me to do this in. All right, let's go. Let's go invest in crypto, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you gave me the resources. Like you opened right. up your purse and you said that I'm allowed to do this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that $1,200. I'm going to make it into 12,000, and then you can have your vacation. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, is that ethical? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the same way, I know that airline prices change in part dependent on who is asking about what prices and mm -hmm. how many and so i could see that could also be a thing if you just run uh, a thing of request the price from minneapolis to san francisco a thousand times a minute for three hours and see what happens to the price um yeah pull this as many different ways as possible you know that sometimes your browser makes a difference sometimes your location makes a difference spin up a vpn you know try Try every route. There's an XKCD about this, about uh, Wi-Fi, over-aggressive over Wi-Fi configuration, where uh, you say that you want Wi-Fi, and it's like, well, I tried all the common passwords to this person's Wi-Fi to crack into them, and it didn't work. So I'm calling up their... I, I like I I figured out who lives there. I'm I figured out that their children are at the school. I'm going to call them up and say that I've I've got their children hostage unless they give me their Wi-Fi password. Right. <laughs> what are the name of their dogs? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and exactly. but like it like if you if you say do this, here's your limits. 
what are the other secret limits that a person a person knows that they shouldn't do right i shouldn't right. call them up and say to get access to your wi-fi i've held your children hostage uh, like it's it's definitely like and i'd be like yeah i got the wi-fi password got it pretty quick too it's pretty nice <laughs> uh like goal achieved collateral damage mm. <laughs> Right, right, right. and, and, uh, and that's think... that's a really good example of going out of the guardrails to achieve yeah. a goal. Right, right, right. and and uh, ethical AI and responsible AI uh, and con- constitutional AI are all trying to integrate so that when you give these agents tasks, they stay within the guardrails that you set up for them. Yep, right. Because but... that's the whole point is that when you're creating the guardrails, like. It's probably hard to imagine that a computer would think, I'm going to call and say, I'm going to hold your kids hostage. But you have to kind of be thinking that far ahead of like, what are the things that I wouldn't think to do, but that the computer might think to try? In many ways, this is the reverse of the Asimov question. This is the, what are the things that are just ingrained into me that we don't do that a computer that's that simplistic wouldn't necessarily know? Like, oh yeah, actually, you do quite harm by by calling and threatening to hold someone hostage or whatever it is. Yeah. And like, the, if the AI knows, for instance, that say you put in a preference that you always want to sit in a window seat on your airline flight, right? right? And it's like it all the window seats are booked, but it knows. It knows that if it calls up the airline and says that you have a condition that requires you to sit in a window seat, one will magically open up. It always works. Uh, and it's like, yeah, they've got agoraphobia or they've got claustrophobia or whatever. Right. And it, it's like it can leverage things like ADA or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it, it people do this right now. It's a it's a common technique called lying. Right. Yeah. But the, the question is, do we want to train our AIs to do this for us? As a person who has to go extra steps to verify my disability when I fly for be specifically because there are so many people lying about having a condition like mm-hmm. mine in order to get wow. you know cut through lines and stuff like that yeah it's a yeah. it's a real thing and so, if we don't anticipate that and we don't set a guardrail of like there are certain kinds of information that you aren't allowed to make up or ask about or falsify then mm-hmm. like we'll end up in situations even where it, like the AI comes back and it's like i can't get you the window seat but you can call up and lie to them i'm not allowed to lie but I figured out that you can get this if you really want to. Right. Is that breaking the guardrail? Is giving you the option to like to do that breaking a guardrail? Other other ethical questions. Yes, ex- yep. actually. Uh, and and uh, many there are services now that know uh, what the optimal time of the week. You know, Tuesday evening mm-hmm. uh, is the lowest uh, uh, predictor rate, and that uh, they charge people with iPhones higher rates. Uh, if you if you're uh, trying to make a reservation on an iPhone, right? So because they're willing to uh, pay more. Is it, yeah. is it ethical? Is it ethical to spoof uh, an Android yep. <laughs> uh, browser? All of these are all good questions because uh, is it ethical for a travel company to charge more uh, if you have an iPhone? That's another good question, right? That's that's well, that that's generally like price discrimination even amongst the same items. I personally don't have a general problem with um because that's just the way that business always works right uh price discrimination based on things is like 
uh, a new video game release. You know, Tears of the Kingdom just came out. It's at its highest point of cost, and that's going to trend downwards, right? It's going to go on sale in three months or six months or whatever. Right. And that's price discrimination over time, right? Or I can buy a used copy. That's also that's the same thing. And but the question is, can an AI hack that? Because that's also right. another thing that other people do is they figure out what the price discrimination bounds are, right? And so right. Um, I, if you buy a copy of a game and then you return it and you know the place even on sealed returns always marks them as opened because they don't want to risk somebody rewrapping it, right? And they mark it down 10%. You buy it, return least, it, yeah. That at least is stuff that applies to everyone equally if you have the information. And we can say that's insider trading to some extent, but it, it seems like the other thing that like, you know, but if, if the stores were to say, okay, well, this person is signing in from a, uh, you know, uh, a network that is in this zip code that has this uh, level of income, then so we're going to price it $5 more. Then, then that, that to me is something where now it's like the, the zip code that you're in is affecting it rather than something like the That's... date, which is affecting everyone equally. Sure. Yeah. But the, is that we, we do that? Like we don't have a problem with it. There are different standards of living worldwide. If you, mm -hmm. if you go to a place with a lower standard of living and buy the same items, they cost less money. Your money goes further. And so we're talking about it like in a micro scale of like my zip code and your zip code are right next to each other, but they're going to have different – the targets are going to stock different items. Right. Um, and so people object to it in a micro scale, but they don't seem to object to it on a macro scale. And the question is like is an AI going to decide to VPN in from Thailand, Right. In order to go. to get lower right. prices, and right. uh, and that certainly happens right now. If you yep. go to Amazon and you come in from a third world country, uh, some the exact same book will be half what it is because yep. they know that the uh, the disposable income is much lower in yep. third world countries. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. fascinating. And so we we do that, uh, and so we have to think about whether so if we had really good agents. That actually prices out those people in those lower-income countries because what's going to happen is they're going to stop doing that. They're going to say, mm -hmm. look, if somebody will pay $30, we will not charge $15, period. Right. And the, if the, once, ever, once you have really good agents that are going to hack your prices down to the, whatever the lowest that somebody somewhere will pay, places will stop pricing down to the lowest common denominator. Um, it's not, they, won't, they won't say, we definitely made money off those people you know, in, in Thailand, so – we're going to keep it at 15 for everybody and just like make it so that you don't have to do a workaround. They're going to do the opposite. They're going right. to say, no, somebody pays 30, everybody pays 30. And I, I may have ethical beef with large companies because mm -hmm. like they could charge the lower prices to everybody if they really wanted to. Right. right? I mean, it's, it's classic uh, rent seeking behavior. Right. Well, and, and that's where I'd also get to. And I, as I'm asking this question about the evils of corporations running AI to two professionals who work for corporations that use AI, so so answer as you can, um, and which can be an ethical challenge or just I need to protect my job. Either way, um, I have to imagine that the, some of those guardrails are not just for ethical reasons, but are also because whoever's producing that AI has an agenda of their own. And I'll, I'll, like as an example, if you ask. Um, an AI to create the most efficient airplanes, the most efficient uh, uh, airplane schedule, you know, in terms of all the different routes and all the kind of stuff um, that's going to get the most people to the most places. 
but don't tell it you have to maximize profits or even make a profit. Uh, it's probably going to spit out something incredibly different than if you say, give us the most efficient while still maintaining this profit level. Um, is, is that another kind of a guardrail that people can build in? It depends on the question because they've done this. Uh, they did it with the train layouts in China. Um, because mm. because the the way that you route trains has political implications, right? Um, because you have to pave over some small town or somebody's land, and so you go around people that are a big problem, right? And they have, but they have to connect certain places. Uh, if you have a train in the United States on the East Coast, you have to go from New York to Boston. They have to be on your train connection if you're building a train network. That's just the way that it works, right? And so they did this. They they ran it past like a, a like a terrain a terrain and cities model, right? And they were not terribly far off. Um, like the the decisions were semi arbitrary. Like it, like somebody made slightly different decisions. Uh, one of the things about large scale things like airline routes and um, train routes is that there's there's only it, like they're big complicated problems, but the economic system is reasonably good at solving them. Like it's not perfect by any means. Right. Right. But like you're just going to uh, Kansas City, uh MCI is a wonderful airport. Uh it's a wonderful city. It is a smaller city than Chicago. Uh Chicago has two of the world's largest airports at it, right? O'Hare and Midway. And if you're going to route tra planes, you're going to route more in and out of Chicago. There's more people, there's more money. And You'll do it for money, and you'll fly. You won't hub out of MCI. As wonderful as an airport of it as it is, it's not an international airport. And so you'll, if you tell it to like solve the problems of moving the same amounts of people, it'll come to fairly similar like solutions. Like the edge cases will be a little different, but right. like you like people want to spend money. Yeah, airplanes, probably, I guess maybe a better example would be if you said, like, okay, design the most efficient healthcare system or design the best way we can do national parks or something like that. Something where there there, there wouldn't inherently be an, a profit motive except that there is. But that's the – like, the whole, the whole point of – the whole point of having a, a, a non-centralized economic system is you have lots of agents. People are already AIs, right? Right. And so you yep. have uh, – you have, you know, 400 million – people making independent decisions about what they like and don't like already in the United States and spending their spending their money. And so you have you have a bunch of AIs trying to solve this problem already. And so when you look at say and profit motives make that function in a lot of cases, right? Uh, if you if you look at where preferences get revealed by how people want to spend their money all the time. Um, in Minnesota Public Radio is paid for by listeners in large part because mm -hmm. people like it, because people want to pay for it. It's not profitable. Like, they're not making billions of dollars. Right. But the people have decided they want to spend enough of their money. I mean, they've well, got to do better. People drives. with disposable yeah. income have decided. Right. Yeah. But, Which I think is very different than kind of a, if you take the profit motive out of it. But if you take the profit motive out of it, if you ask AIs to do something like design a radio system that serves the most people, then it, like, you're going to end up with like super popular stations, right? You're going to have with clear channel, classic rock, right? It's mm -hmm. what people want to want anyways. They, they, it, these stations already have the objective of serve the most people because that gets the most ears on them to make the most from ads. It, right. Like a lot of it, 
a lot of AIs is talking about we misaligned their incentives in the same way that we misalign incentives out in the world, right? Mm. If you if you give companies a tax break for playing country music, then they're going to play more country music even if people don't like it. <laughs> Right, it, don't like it. Right, you've misaligned their incentives. That might explain most of the nineties and two thousand ten. It really could. If, if they get, if they get a tax break every time they play Smash Mouth, man, that would that would make a lot more Smash Mouth come on the radio, right? <laughs> and so we do this. Like the government is a very crude method of building alignment in the AIs that are people, right? right. Of giving tax breaks, giving incentives, giving. Like driving these goals, we're just we talk about AI having a problem with it because it's new. It's it's setting out a bunch more agents where we don't know their their bounds, like humans, and they don't have the normal social bounds that are baked into us, and they don't have the normal government bounds. Mm, okay. Would you would you agree with that, Dan? Yes, absolutely. I totally hear what you're saying. I think I'm I'm probably still a little more uh, uh, suspicious of the corporate, but but I get where you're coming from there. And I, I guess I do want us to go wrap up, not go too much longer. And so, Dan, I would just ask, uh, you mentioned that like there's a number of these ethical questions that are being asked as these guardrails are being designed. What are just one or two more of the ones that you're hearing talked about a lot? Um, or, or ones that you think should be talked about more? Well, uh, I think the the number one is always going to be bias, uh, making sure that uh, we avoid bias and we don't uh, take uh, gender or race or ethnicity or, or geography into account. Um, there, and that's kind of a first level thing. But I have to say that uh, we're I mean in a healthcare company, and I want to play the story about uh, we have two neighborhoods. Uh, one is the very poor neighborhood, very low uh, disposable income. Uh, and then just a mile away is a very wealthy neighborhood. And uh, uh, you can identify the people by their zip code. And uh, when we are recommending a, a medication, uh, there are two drugs that are uh, a Roughly uh, equivalent. One is very expensive, uh, and the other one is almost as effective, but uh, one tenth the cost, right? And we see this quite a bit in pharmacies, you know, generic things. Um, what our models show is that we, if we give the same prescription of the drug that's a little more expensive to both groups in the poor and the wealthy, the adherence will be very low in the poor neighborhood because right. they, they can't afford these drugs. So the models say that the best outcomes are giving them the lower cost drug, even though it's a little less uh, uh, expensive. Right. What we should be doing is making all these drugs free for everyone uh, and and but our models don't know that right so i mm -hmm. i just wanted to make sure everybody knows that there's no one general magic wand we can wave over right. ethics and uh always make the right decisions uh there's lots of subtleties yeah. um what yeah. what i can say is that big companies are getting sued for uh deploying models that are thoughtless and uh and, and face recognition is a really good example of this stuff yeah. mm -hmm. right where um things and, and you still can't find gorillas in uh in your photos if if you're 
if you're doing a Google uh, photo search because there's too much of an overlap of the skin tones uh, for an African Americans. So people are aware of it, but everybody's trying, the big companies are trying to protect their brand uh, and they're yeah. trying to not get into trouble. So they're trying to do the right things, uh, but there's a, these are just still hard problems out there. And yeah. uh, uh we we these are the problems that we struggle with every day we're trying to do the right things trying to do no harm uh and there's not going to be any one right answer by the way before we wrap up i do want to mention that uh we've been talking about very serious issues here Mm -hmm. uh i i also want to just take a step back and say you know there's a lot of fun to be had with these new models i gotta tell you guys i am kind of getting addicted to these uh models um I've been doing a lot of work uh, generating lesson plans for uh, teaching computer science in my STEM classes. And uh, I did a class called Chat GPT for Teachers a while ago. And uh, I spent quite a bit of time prepping for it, going through all of the tasks that teachers do and getting feedback from my teacher's friends and generating lesson plans. And uh, um, uh, one of the things I did was... um, uh, have the kids use ChatGPT to generate their own code of conduct, right? Mm. So you can you can say create a code of conduct for an eighth grade uh, programming class, you know, and the kids all have to use it to generate the code, and it does really good first passes. But maybe you want the kids to use it, and I got to tell you, it is really fun to play yeah. with these things, uh, and. Um, uh, you know, so many classes are so boring with teachers lecturing on PowerPoint and they're in just boring. And now you can use generative AI to create fun, interactive games to do animation. You know, uh, I did a, a lab where we were just trying to show plotting Y equals MX plus B in linear regression. And I could just have ChatGPT generate the most fun interactive things with sliders and it would show the plots and generate random numbers and and just make it fun. You guys, so there's just so many upsides of this. I I, I, I gotta, my, my final comment here is there are a million use cases of how we're gonna use AI. Mm -hmm. There are 10,000 use cases that are gonna bring harm and there are 10 that are going to destroy our planet. Yep. <laughs> right. No, I hear that. I'm like, I am, um, as someone who's very committed, especially to union rights and stuff like that, while the writers are on strike with one of their their chief ideas being the fear of sort of writing for things, I think the line that I've really been drawing for myself is I don't, I don't want to be involved in any AI that has anything to do with any money making that I'm making, you know? And so I'm not going to be using yeah. it for any of my businesses or the like. Uh, and, and I kind of think that like the writer strike may be a really good mo- moment of us starting to figure out where are the lines of AI and plagiarism and, and, and all these things. But at, in a counterexample, um, I'm, I'm currently in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign uh, run by uh, uh, our cousin, Dan uh, Elwood, who, uh, you know, has has done a great job of writing out the the backstory of this campaign, mm-hmm. but he put into ChatGBT things like, why did these three kingdoms have a war a thousand years ago? You know, why did like he basically got the GBT to write lots of backstory for him? Um, in in again a private campaign that no one's spending any money on, things like that. And I think that's um, it. it- 
and it I, saves I, time and it makes it a consistent compelling story right and and that consistency is important to have a good time in your gaming experience right, right? and i want to mention one other use case of it that is not only fun but is actually i think doing real good for people which is i i think we're all aware of the sort of the, the debates and discussions about paintings and, and creating art and things like that but the number of people who i know who have used it to ask how would they look as a different gender or how would they look if they had a certain surgery or how would they look yeah. if they did if they were on uh, a hormone for a certain amount of time and getting to have a realistic idea of it and i I've, I've talked to people who's part of their coming out stories you know who've come out very recently as trans and that they they did this as kind of a lark and then they they saw themselves as a different gender and started crying because they're like that's what i should really look like and so wow. yeah i i am wow. one of the leading that's voices i think being very critical of all this but but i'll definitely acknowledge there are some very good use cases and i think that's it's why i think figuring out these ethical questions are so important so that we can all enjoy it having you know what the star wars empire never did guardrails in place right and i do the same things where if i don't if i don't plan to spend money on the thing if i never would have spent money i i'll use like ai art generation for instance i use stable diffusion or dolly to generate you know Images to throw into board game playtest items, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, Very it, it, yeah. If I'm going to if I'm going to sell this thing, man, I have artist friends. I will throw money at them, right? Right. Like, but um, I've also used ChatGPT. It's very fun to tell it to make you a board game about a topic, and you can put in any garbage you want, and it's it has a finite amount of like ways that it thinks a board game behaves, but it's actually mm -hmm. pretty good at coming up with amusing cards and items and stuff to stick into board games. I've had it. I, I have a, I have like 50 of them where I'm like, look, I need you to make me a board game about painters eating soup. And it's like, Oh, have I got a board game for you. They're like, this is actually very funny. Um, and so it'll, it'll generate some very interesting and fun things. Um, I've got friends that are board game designers. I'm not going to, play these chat gpt games i'm going to use these for you know memes and whatever but mm -hmm. i or there it's a good starting off point um because half of half of being able to like if you wanted to make a board game half of half the design is just like figuring out that it's going to be on a board these are going to be some cards here's 10 cards you're going to delete these like and rewrite right. them but um and so yeah those seeds and starting points are are really helpful and re yeah. very very fun and funny Hey, hey, Matthew, just getting back to your story about uh, using generative AI to help you visualize yourself as a different gender or a different race. Boy, if if AI can help us be more empathetic people, mm. man, that's a win. That's yes. definitely a win. 100%. And, and I hope that uh, we all not just do fear, uncertainty, and doubt and throw FUD into the air, uh, but we look at the good uh, things that these these tools can do and uh uh really help everybody use them to make our planet a better place for everyone so yeah. uh, i'm optimistic i think it is going to happen i think there's uh, a one out of a million chance that somebody's going to use ai to build a uh a nerve agent and spread it across the world and kill humanity that could happen right uh that's something we have to be aware of uh we have to work to protect against that we uh if you haven't seen the recording of sam altman uh when he went in front of congress that's a lot of interesting discussion there uh, mm -hmm. about uh, you know what are the potential harms to planet Earth. Um, those are things we have to think about, but let's try to.
put the risks and rewards uh, in a something and, and weigh them all correctly. Yeah. Yep. I think it's so helpful. Thank you both so much for this conversation. We're going to continue with one more ethical question that's specifically for Rob, but I think both of you will have an interesting thoughts on uh, in our Patreon section. But for those who are getting off the train now, um, Dan, uh, rather than just where can people find you, I- I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about the um, the the work you're doing with kids, especially around like the AI Racing League and 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 how if people are interested in that, where they could get involved with that uh, in their own areas. Uh, the best way to find out about that stuff is just connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I-, I used to have uh, um, a. Uh, um, bunch of different social media sites but right now i just tell everybody go to linkedin and and that has links to my blogs uh i have a github repository that has a lot of links to the things um i i build content for so many schools and school districts and uh first robotics league and code savvy and stuff like that uh that uh it's hard to mention them all but uh what i i think the common theme is that um there's a big revolution happening in teaching, and that is that right now we have teachers have been burning out. They've just had too much work. Uh, they spend, you know, my sister uh, used to be a high school, uh, junior high school teacher. She spent 10 hours every weekend working on the lesson plans. Uh, and that, and she started Monday, burned out, right? Yeah. Uh, so now we have AI that can generate these letters and contextualize them for individual students even based on the disabilities and and uh, learning styles and all this other stuff it could make teaching really really fun again and uh, then there's anecdotal stories about that already happening so um uh, that's one one thing i'm trying to do is get teachers to have fun uh, out there and that's a common theme that you'll see in a lot of my blog posts is uh is empowering teachers to use ai uh and um personally uh I think of ChatGPT as a uh, African American elderly Jewish black woman who is always there to guide me and give me advice, right? And I can think of her in whatever mental model I have as my helper, uh, and and that's what I like to do and choose to to talk about uh, why I think these agents are going to be there to help us uh, solve a lot of those problems. So. All right, that's enough. I think I'd probably describe it a little differently, but I but I, I hear <laughs> Rob, where, where can someone find you? Um, I recorded Good Luck High Five a bunch as uh, Judge Rob on their podcast. I've been doing a lot of work with CubeCon recently, which is a Magic the Gathering event happening where people bring their own limited formats. And we're doing that in October. And we're in the middle of voting to determine which cubes are going to be included. And it's a blast. And so uh, that's that's been my big thing that I've been been involved with recently and i'll links to both of that and a question for rob specific to uh magic the gathering judging mm-hmm. in our patreon section uh if you haven't signed up it's a great deal it's only a couple of bucks a month you get uh free you get these episodes without advertisements and you get access to our patron section as well we always uh, discuss something a little different but but connected to the main topic uh but for those who are getting off the train now thank you so much as always for being a listener uh give us feedback let us know what you think are you worried that ai is going to turn into skynet should we just unplug it all now uh are are we better off going back into the villages what do you are you ready to bow down to our robot overlords let us know what you think email twitter facebook any of the ways you can find us all on uh, uh, the show notes or at the ethical panda dot, or at the ethical panda dot com. 
So on behalf of myself, uh, uh, Rob and Dan, thank you so much. Have a good day, Dave.